presents. Welcome everybody to show number three of digital film photography. Uh, I'm Christian and with me is my co-host Aid. Aid, how are you doing? I am doing very well, thank you. It is good to talk to you as as we speak. Uh, the exciting thing that's happened today is the first show has actually been published, so we are now officially a podcast. <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? And today's show, we we already have been peeping at the rabbit hole that we're going to dive into for a few days and... Yeah, this show, we're going to do it. Um, we'll uh, gather all our courage and look at what we can do to achieve a film look because we discussed at, at length what we think is a film look. And today we want to... Uh, it's it's probably not going to be a really a technology-focused um, or in-depth episode, but we're trying to look at certain ways how we can achieve a film look in software. And I think that's uh, going to be um, yeah, interesting for the both of us because I think we both uh, have used different tools so far. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my first question for you would be what, I mean, if you look at what equipment you have and what software you have, what is your go-to approach to get something along the lines of a film look? Well, that's a good question. So, I mean, first of all, I, I, if I'm shooting with my Fuji camera, I will try and do something in the camera. So I know this is on our list of things to discuss today, you know, the stuff that you can do in camera, but that that's my first thing. Secondly, after that, um, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes I, I play. So I have to say, although I like to get, you know, to get a film like look, Right, due to get an ana you know, to get a feel for it. I'm not usually trying to, you know, get the colours just so or get yeah, so so you know, I, I things I, I think about are, you know, just just a, a tweak to the reds maybe. Yeah. You know, often I like to, to do so to, to make them uh often a shift from, from pure red towards a sort of burgundy maroon kind of colour. Uh, that's something I like to do. And then, you know, sometimes with the blues, you're sort of playing with the hues of the blues you know, to, to, to try and balance that and, and greens as well. Uh, so, so there's, there's often uh, it's the, the specific colour frequencies that I play with uh, just to get a feel for what I like. Uh, there's grain, of course. That's always a good one. Um, uh, and uh, I also occasionally to sort of, you know, to, to reduce the sharpness on things sometimes. Not often because I find if you, you add grain in, in most digital tools, that'll help. But yeah, you know, to to take away that sort of clinical sharpness. So yeah, you know, those those are just a few of the things that I I look at. Um, it's not so much, and and often those are available in lots of different apps. So you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm sort of not particularly linked to one app at at that point. I use a range of stuff actually. Um, how about you? What tools do you go to for, to to try and a film uh, to try and achieve a film look? Um, I, I think I mentioned it earlier uh, on, the, on the on the second episode. I uh, resort to DX, DxO software. Um, that's Photolab and FilmPack Elite. I like it a lot because they have a really good baseline for each and every digital camera, which is uh, something that we'll discuss in a bit. Because what you need is um, if you have, for example, a standard color color chart, which lets you, which basically shows. The colors in a way that they are natural and uh, and their the names if i think there is a different color um uh, palettes like uh, pantone i think it's it's called and other things and um what they do they they dxo measures out every digital camera body anyhow so if you take a film stock and shoot the same color chart w uh, that you use for a baseline with the digital camera, you can actually see the difference and apply uh, transformations to the original image to give it the film look. And I find uh, very interesting what you said uh, about the changing the color, the contrast, adding grain and so on, because I've been going through a number of tools when preparing for this episode. And 
that is basically the the foundation of every uh, film emulation or film look tool. It will basically change the colors in a certain way, change the contrast, maybe change how highlights are displayed and 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 how shadows are displayed, and it will add grain in some uh, instances. And if you have really accurate tools, it will also look at halation. But if you take that as the basics, then you realize that the tools are only there to take the effort away from, let's say, the Photoshop users of trying to create a film emulation or a look by yourself. So um, that's what I do with the film pack. I apply the presets because they give me a result that looks very close to what I expect from a film stock that I want to emulate. That's interesting. So, do you do you have in mind then when you when you're I don't know say, let's say you've you've been out on on a day trip uh, or somewhere or, or yeah and you have a, a a few photos that you've taken that day. Do you then go home and think, do you know what? Today I was feeling a bit like a Portra 400 day, right? And and then I, and then you can go and and you know just batch process all of those uh, and 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 give them a Portra 400 look. Is that the sort of thing that you do? That's exactly the way I like because um, when I shoot film, that's exactly what I think I would do. I would, as we also discussed last episode, I would try to imagine what. Uh, would the scenery or the subjects that I want to shoot look like in a certain film stock? And let's, uh, for example, I went to the North Sea coast um, uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, then this Portra feeling overcomes me all of the time because it gives you these subtle pastel sort of um, images. And yeah, I mean, obviously, if you post process, you always have the chance to go down a different road if you think you don't get the result that you that you want with for example a portra like look but yes i think it's in my mind and that's some probably something that is not uh usual for digital photographers but more for analog photographers i have this um mental image of what my film want uh, or my shots uh, should look like so that's yeah. yeah so i i I have some of that sometimes i think yeah you think okay today i would like it to look a bit like this or, yeah, or a bit like that and so and it's not always like the 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 super well regarded uh ones i quite yeah i used to have a 110 camera where i used to shoot uh the lomo film in it because they were the only people where, i think it was called tiger uh it was a color negative film um and it was really warm in its tones um and of course everything looked incredibly grainy because the 110 negative was so small so so sometimes yeah. you go out and say oh i really like that warm look i can get fr- from that film uh, so uh, other times I think, okay, well, actually, what I really want to do here is I, I want to do something inspired by like you know, fan hose photography. So I'm looking for really yeah. sharp shadows and and things like that. That's uh, a sharp contrast. Yeah, and and sometimes you want to say, okay, well, yeah, I want this. We're going out, uh, you know, at, uh, either either somewhere that's quite dark or or maybe out at night. Um, you know, where where you think, okay, actually, what I want is a kind of you know uh, a, a crunchy black and white with 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 a, a good grain look to it, because that'll feel that'll help help me capture what I'm feeling here. Um, you know, the 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 uh, the long indoor days with family over the holidays are definitely a time when I feel like, oh, you know, I want this to look like a proper crunchy HP five, right? Because, yeah, you know, uh, and stuff like that. Just to for some reason that that's kind of the the imagery that that kind of thing appeals to me. But I I don't have, but beyond beyond that, I don't have particularly a whole set of ways of uh, of of presets and and things like that possibly because i don't i mean we've got a great long list of of fantastic you know very powerful processing tools in our show notes here um, and i'm looking down them and i go no don't have that one no don't have that one no <laughs> don't have that one and I, well, maybe i should right maybe i should but but uh it's interesting that you say don't use that many tools actually the film pack uh by dxo has i don't know 
a huge amount of films and I'm probably using maybe four different film stops that I emulate <laughs> because I think it's a... Do you remember that we talked about film photography puberty where you shoot all film stocks available and, you know, uh, one of the disadvantages of doing that is that you never get to know a certain film stock really well. So you have no idea uh, how it will, you know, render a certain scene. And I think it's the same with a digital presets. If you just keep playing around, you never will find the style that you like. And I mean, we've been talking about these components, uh, coloring, um, uh, grain, and also halation, which make up what we think is some sort of film look. And the funny thing is, some of the film emulations I like for the tonality, but I don't actually like the grain, so I actually leave, leave away the grain right, okay. emulation. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that is a freedom that you have when... Uh, trying to achieve a certain look digitally that you leave away stuff that doesn't suit the mood. I mean, sometimes as you have the mood for really strong grain, sometimes you don't. So that's at least some sort of advantage that you have with processing. But then, uh, yeah, sorry. No, no yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I think that's that's really interesting because uh, I get like that sometimes as well. I think, okay, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like it to look like this. This is the look I'm going for, and then you see a shot in the middle of the the group, and you just think, no, no, that's that that's not what I meant, <laughs> right? That's not that's not the image I had in my head when I took that shot. And you know, if you'd been there with uh, a film camera and you just take it, it's like, okay, we of course, if you shoot on film, you can still post process it to 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 tweak it, um, yeah. but it's uh, yeah, you have that. You can almost shoot. Uh, not not randomly but you can shoot almost anything you can go from outdoors in bright sunshine to indoors in the dark and you can shoot color and black and white and all sorts of things so easily with digital um it's 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 a blessing and a challenge i think because it is you you can do the raw capture but then really all you're doing is is kicking the can down the road you're leaving all the work till afterwards and and sometimes you can forget what you were aiming for of course so other times it's you end up with a a collection of photos that don't all match each other because they're shot and pro because they're processed differently um and it's i i think it's it's uh it, and, and for me somebody who is is very lazy when it comes to post-processing images i don't like to work too hard um, and I like to get as much done in the camera as I can, which is one of the things that actually, you know, why I've shot film for years and years is like, that's OK, because you can get the film back from the lab and the scan. You go, OK, there's my photo. It's finished. I don't need to do any work on it. <laughs> and that's that's a very interesting aspect. I think a lot of times when I, I, I usually shoot landscapes and a lot of times when I'm on a on an outing, walking through the mountains, I see a certain scene and then instantly my mind says, you now need to use an orange filter and shoot this in black and white. And funny enough, I never do that on site. I could obviously attach a, a screw on a, a red filter on my digital camera and use it and use a black and white film emulation. But a lot of times, or no, hardly ever do I do that because um, I feel like especially applying some sort of color filter before you convert to black and white there is a lot of trial and error going on because for some scenes when there is a lot of green it might not be very beneficial to you know just use certain reds and i admit to cheating by just you know trying out certain filters in post mm -hmm. because they then i get the result that i like and sometimes I mean, with black and white, there was no such thing. You just, uh, oh, sorry, black and white film. There is no such, such thing. You just attach a filter and you're, as you said, you get the, the shots back from the lab, the negatives, and you have to live with what you have because with a red filter, you basically remove uh, information, light from the image that you will never get back. And that is probably uh, something that appeals to people. But on the other hand, for me, it, sometimes it takes away some freedom. I had this very funny um, um, 
experience i bought a i don't know if you know that black diffusion filter mm -hmm. yeah which basically gives you some sort of softening of the image and it gives you also some sort of halation effect if you shoot um against the light uh, and i tried that filter and there is this diffusion filter in my uh software and I put them next to each other and I couldn't see any difference. Oh, really? Interesting. Ex except for the fact that I had to fiddle with screwing on and screwing off the, the, the real one. The <laughs> and <laughs> it went out of my bag, actually. Ah, okay. So, so, so um, I, we need to uh, um, address one thing. We um, were chatting um, a few days ago and I sent you... And we will link to it in the show notes. I sent you an image that is in the Stevie Nicks Wikipedia article. Mm -hmm. It's a basically a black and white image, uh, a portrait of Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac. And uh, when I saw that image, uh, immediately I thought that is exactly what I think could define a film book. And I sent it to you. And one of the first thing was you said was, that almost looks like a digital image because the grain is so pronounced and so unexpectedly pronounced. How, how? I mean, when you saw that image, what were, were your th uh, first thoughts? Well, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting. If it had not been a famous person, then it would it might have been a bit of a challenge. So if I look at that, the, my first thought is, oh, there's a picture of Stevie Nicks. Uh, she looks like it was taken in the early 70s by how old she is, right? So so that instantly tells me that, of course, it's obviously a film photo. But the, the, this particular photo, the, the thing that I saw that, that jumped out at me is that, you know, the, the background uh, behind her is very plain. And lots and lots of grain on on this image uh, in that background, but on her face it's very much softer. The, the the grain is much less visibly obvious, at least to me, on on her face. And so it it almost looks like somebody has shot it digital, added a bucket load of grain, and exactly and, and it's it, overdone it a little bit, overdone right? it a little bit, and then masked her yeah. face. Yeah, so so that it's not so grainy on her face, and that's that's the thing that that made me look at and sort of oh, that's really interesting because you don't often see genuine. I don't often see anyway genuine film shots that then that that I think all oh, that that looks very digitally. It's obviously obviously it's more frequent to be the other way around, right? Yeah, you have a, a digital thing that is um well sorry a digital thing that's supposed to look like film but actually doesn't. You think it's more digital. So this this was really interesting, um, uh, and uh, I it, it's yeah it, it just feels that the grain is enormous, and I wondered whether it was a really small negative, perhaps. It, I don't I don't think there's any information on how the image was made, but you could imagine that perhaps if it was like a half frame camera, for example, right? Uh, yeah, that the, the grain would be more prominent, or if it was. Yeah, a, a particular film, I guess that that you know, for, that was very grainy. But it's it's really interesting. What what do you think when you look at that photo? I, I first of first I thought, uh, as I said earlier, I thought it was the archetype of a of a film image. I think, but after you said, "Oh my goodness," that almost I I would have thought that would could have been a uh, I I thought that could have been a digital image. I was like, yes, it. I mean, if you look at it from that point of view, it it's could very well be someone uh, you know fiddling too much in their film emulation software. <laughs> I think that is a very interesting thought because I've read, and we'll also link to that article in the show notes. I've read a pretty recent article on Petapixel about emulating film grain, and uh, the author did a quite a good write up about what actually defines a good film grain emulation or good grain and what what differences are between digital noise that looks like grain and certain other um, sorts of grain that you can get in an image and it was very interesting because that um, gave me an idea to ask you what do you think how important the accuracy of film emulation is because we 
I've also found a different tool, which is called uh, Dehancer, which is, uh, as far as I can tell, I've never used it, a pretty uh, solid film emulation software. And they obsess about details like halation, which is very difficult to emulate, I assume, because you basically add halos to um, highlights and stuff like that in a way that supposedly is exactly the way the film would render those halos. And I keep wondering how, I mean, we've said before that probably perfection is not necessary to get a film log, but in in your eyes, how important is the accuracy of film emulation? I guess for me, it's very closely linked to output. So whatever we end up calling this show, I think output is part of it for me, right? So because the, there's the processing right. element, the look, and then there's the... But for me, the look is is strongly linked to the output medium. So if... Uh, yeah, it, it, so, so in that sense, I am trying to optimise for what it is that I want to have as an output. So... Uh, Today, yesterday, uh, uh, we we um, I was playing yesterday, uh, doing some prototyping of uh, of the project uh, th- that I I'm trying to do, where I'm, I'm printing printing photos, mounting them, and then and then resining over them to make them yeah, and and trying to mount them in a three D way. So that is uh, at that point I'm well at that point I'm prototyping right. So that's the, yeah that it matters not. Um, but that in that project I'm going for very vivid colours uh, and so you know, super unnatural colours uh, and uh, so that's one thing. Um, in other uh, it, when I did my my smithereen scene earlier this year I was very much going for the look and feel of a a, a photocopied zine. Um, uh, so that took me down the, you know, the path of very grainy, very crunchy black and white. Um, but that, you know, but only because that was the uh, the look I was after. So I find that re- rarely am I after accuracy in terms of the, how a film, particular film stock would render an image. Uh, more often I would be looking for the the feel of it yeah, the the emotional feel yeah. of an image yeah it's very funny <clears throat> you asked me which uh, software i use and n- apart from dxo software also i mean it happens to belong to dxo now but i also use the nick collection and everyone probably knows uh, the nick collection uh, on a side note the very uh, famous snapseed app was also made by the same team, Nick Software, before it was bought by Google and then the whole Nick collection got bought by DxO. So, And one of the focuses I feel that Nick has is not so much the accuracy of taking a baseline image that you take with the digital camera and transform it in a as close as possible emulation of a certain film stock. Nick collection has much more has many more playful sorts of rendering film-like images. For example, you can render as a web plate shot mm. and it will a- actually add the the imperfections and, and dust and so on to an image. And it, as far as I know, they don't care at all about what you know color baseline you have in, in the source image. And I like that a lot because that caters to what you said, you you approach a certain image and think, oh, this would look really great, like, for example, as a sepia shot. Yeah. And or a, a faded, um, faded black and white shot that you find in photos from, you know, uh, the uh, early um, 1900 something and so on. And I think that's very important because um, I think, I mean, at least, the two of us, I feel like we are not trying to fool people into thinking that a shot is shot on film or wet wet plate or whatever. We we are going for a certain look and we will... I mean, I can only talk for myself, but I think you feel the same. I would 
definitely say yes this is shot digitally it was post-process but i like the look there is nothing i, I would never be ashamed of uh, going for a certain look so i think those tools are a means to get a certain look in a way that you know keeps me from having to fiddle with it because i don't have for example wet plate imperfections or light i have no idea how to do, to do a light leak in photoshop or affinity photo so no i would, I would just use an app on my phone and add one on top if i'm going to do that but it's, it's yeah you're right so i think um i mean this is one of the reasons i really wanted to do this series of podcasts with you because yeah to explore this and to have the luxury of having this conversation and the ability to enjoy having this conversation because of course i do shoot film and i do shoot digital and you know they're yeah, the, for me, it's about what I'm trying to achieve, right? And so sometimes that is best achieved with film. So, like uh, I, I'm sure I've mentioned before, you know, uh, just out a shot. There's a bookcase. Uh, I know this is an audio podcast, so people can't see that, but you can see me. So just out, so just out a shot is uh, a bookcase which has a little photo album on it, which is all in stacked square uh, with the black frame, uh, uh, oh. which uh, is my holiday album from our family holiday in 2019 when we toured France. And that was what I want. I set out, I thought, what do I want to do with my photography this holiday? Uh, that's the thing I want to do. That's the look I want. That's the way I want to shoot. Uh, and I had a great time. And that's an amazing, you know, a, an amazing thing for me to have that photo album like that. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I don't feel the need to pretend i'm something i'm not uh i don't you know i'm i'm always interested in people's processes but i'm interested in ha in the people's processes possibly because more because of how they get to the output rather than the craft itself i think that's a very interesting i'm sorry i didn't want to interrupt you no no go ahead go ahead because that's a very interesting point because I mean, I have a number of photo books with uh, shots by Elliot Erwitt and, you know, the legends, the Magnum people. And <clears throat> the way those books were produced were more or less uh, in some sort of photographic way to, you know, transfer it to um, uh, uh, so that you can actually print those books. And today, I mean, if you look at books today, especially photo books, there is, I'm not aware of uh, a lot of bookmakers that will still print books in a traditional way. They will very likely use digital processes to, you know, set, typeset a book and, and lay out the book and so on. So when you say the output is very important, that's one of the things that I'm interested in because like you, I'm a, a, a friend of having a palpable result when I, you know, take a photo, I want to have a photo book, I want to have a print. And when it comes to that, I feel like I've, I've made a scene about Helsinki, um, when I still shot a lot of film. And unfortunately, in that scene, the print, the the images were so small that you, it was hard to see the characteristics. It was an A4 size, which is for the listeners in uh, imperial uh, uh, countries, they, uh, they that's almost like a letter format, uh, a little taller, a little uh, uh, um, not as wide, yeah. narrower. And I mean, if you have text with the images and don't print, you know, the whole page, then the output that you get with um, from from scanned film negatives loses a lot of its charm because you you miss the subtleties you miss the grain you there is no sometimes the tonality goes down the drain if the print is not really really uh very high quality so um i mean how do you i mean let's say let's take your six by 12 camera how do you think you will rep uh, reproduce the the images that you get will you uh, print them in a uh, in a dark room will you digitize the the images and then try to you know print them digitally or 
what's the approach so that is that's something i'm still looking forward to do because i haven't done a proper output project yet with that camera but the idea behind it and the, one of the reasons for buying it in the first place uh, is to be able to do highly detailed prints so my my goal in the short term with that camera is to get a handful of prints uh, that are that are really sharp uh, lots and lots of detail and to to have those as good quality single prints um, and when I and when I say think about size um, I guess I I think about a size that is you know it's interesting so uh, how would i just in terms of size because there's not a single there's not a paper ratio that would work because it the, the ratio of the negative is two to one rather than a three to two or something like that but if you could imagine printing a, a two to one image on a sheet of paper that's like say an a3 size possibly um you know that would be kind of where i'd be at for a a small so it's like print 40 centimeters 40 centimeters uh, to 20 centimeters something, something like, like that, that yeah something something like that would be would be good um and i think uh or maybe uh how would it run uh, yeah so that that would be uh in american terms i don't know maybe as much oh as 15 inches about 15 inches yeah 15 uh, by, inches. by seven and a half inches uh, and I think that would probably be the smallest I would want to put. I could imagine having just you know a, a folder with images like that. I could imagine making a collection of, of images, a small number possibly, and having them printed out and keeping them in a folder. And then at that size, and you could you could flick through them and you could marvel at the detail and look at them close up. Uh, and you know, I think uh, I think that would be the output I would be aiming for. My my expectation is that that would be some kind of digital print uh and i think that at some point uh, I, I, there would be a trade-off between the type of paper i would like to use because i think with that camera for some reason i don't know why but for the, with that camera specifically i i feel that i'd like to experiment with different types of paper so some of those will render more detail of course and more contrast others will be softer contrast and, and less detail as you get more into uh what do you call them rag papers i don't even know much about paper i'm looking forward to learning uh and and learning about how individual prints can work um that for, i mean it, all of it for me will be a a hybrid workflow so yes it will be shot on film it'll have lots and lots of detail but it will be scanned and you know I, I won't be ordering you know the the cheapest standard jpeg scans with films like that it'll be it'll be the 16-bit tiffs or something like that you know so it is a camera i have i i am deliberately looking to do something different with um and to maximize the opportunities to to play for for with with the output but again um yeah it's a blend for me so uh can i imagine shooting film through that and then putting a film look on it uh no probably not but there would be no. some digital tweaking perhaps especially to optimize for printing um yeah. so a lot of scans come out optimized for a screen of course um, yeah, so I would look to work with the person doing the scanning to to say, no, please, can you scan these in a way that allows me to optimize for print? I would imagine that would have perhaps less contrast. Uh, certainly the file format and the amount of detail is very important there as well. Um, uh, and I think, yeah, I'd look part of me thinks that that's going to be something of a collaboration, um, you know, between. Uh, so so for, for example, um, I send my films uh, to Duncan at Silver Pan Labs in Bristol here in the UK. Duncan also has a, a printing service um, and he can print. So, so I, I'm imagining that uh, I've probably even spoken to him about this already, actually, that the the the, the work about printing and optimizing that would be would be a collaboration with him to get to a point where you know we, we both know you know what what needs to be done to to get the the print coming out the way that i imagine it to be so now i think it's a, it sounds like a challenge because i mean if you look at the availability of enlargers that are affordable the largest enlarger that i can think of is probably a six by nine and then six by 12 
is probably going to be quite hard to find. Uh, you need it. Uh, basically, it's a large format and larger. You exactly. need something that yeah. can take a, a four by five neg, um, yeah, uh, and exactly. uh, that that's that's what you need to do that in a dark room. Um, I have yeah. again. This is this is really interesting. I would love to see the output of something like that uh, that's been done purely in an analog process, but I don't have any inclination any desire to go into the dark room and to learn that craft i'd far rather collaborate with somebody who has that craft and create something together and it's it's just a a a thing that i've learned about me over the years uh with regard to my photography uh, and also incidentally with music as well um uh and which I think you and I have spoken about, but I'm not sure. I don't think it was part of this podcast, but we have spoken about it. And I I like to, there's possibly only a a narrow set of the things that I like to do. And and I'm I'm less interested in the craft of it all, Um, which to to a lot of people listening might be a really odd concept because I know a lot of people love photography for all of the photography, right? Every step of the process, especially in the, yeah, especially with alternative processes, but even just with sort of you know, normal analog photography, people like to be, to be the person that does every step of the process, but you know, uh, that's just not where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I remember a conversation that I had with my friend Jonathan, who is also in the, on the Discord server and uh, Sunday 16 Discord. And I remember when we got to know each other, at some point I showed him some some stuff that I shot. I mean, I showed him analog shots and digital shots and so on. And he said, yes, this, this looks like exactly your style. He saw some image and I was like, oh, I didn't know that I had a style. <laughs> so that was... Something that gave me, uh, I mean, coming back to the question, do we actually try to fool people? How accurate does stuff have to be to be considered film? I think what people develop is a certain style and they might have different styles in, in their portfolio. They might have different creative languages to express uh, in an image what they want to say. But I, th- I feel like... When I use a software like Nick Collection or Filmpack uh, and so on, I think it should cater to the style that I want to shoot because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm not into processing an image for the processing sake. Yeah, you know, yeah. I need to mm-hmm. to have a result that, uh, like you wanted to have this crunchiness in in H, like HP five ish sort of crunchiness in in holiday images and. I have exactly the same um, feeling that I want some certain a certain image style that is what I like and that I use a lot and you know all these tools are just a means to get there. One thing that I wanted to um, ask you was we've been talking about uh, you know tweaking stuff in post production and we've also been talking about. Um, how we can do stuff in camera with camera emulation, but let's let's quickly look at something that probably everyone has access to, and that's you know phone fo- photography. Because I mean, we last time we wanted to uh, last episode we hinted that we want to discuss how to get a film look and do it inexpensively, and most people have a phone, and most phones are quite capable cameras, so. I would like to uh, ask you what apps do you use? Uh, you're an iPhone user. I'm a I'm an Android user, and maybe it could be an interesting conversation to see how uh, what apps we use on the phones to achieve a certain look, and also what apps we use that produce JPEGs directly with no post processing. You just have to take what you get and be done with it. Yeah. So, well, that's interesting. So uh, I let's think, cause, so I'll try and narrow it down a bit because a, a lot of the photography that I'm doing at the moment or the image making I'm doing at the moment is, is absolutely not about being accurate or realistic in any way. 
Okay, so so I'll I'll put that to one side because I think you know for the purposes of this conversation, any 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 app can do anything to break your pixels. But I think what we're talking about here is is a gentle enhancement of pixels, isn't it, to give you a, a certain look. Um, so uh, the the tools I go to right now, and this does change over time, uh, but I do use an app called Darkroom. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is an app that started out on phones, um, uh, but it now is available. If you have a, a modern Mac computer, you can actually use the same thing on your Mac because now, now that you have Apple Silicon uh, in the uh, in the Macs that you can buy, as you do in your new computer and as I do in mine, <laughs> uh, then a lot of the apps will run the same. So Darkroom now runs across uh, Mac, iPad and iPhone. Uh, and that that's something that I pay for. Um, it's uh, it's got some really good standard tools, uh, and more recently they've also uh, added uh, masking tools, uh, which is quite a, a new thing for them. But they will process raw files. They will process JPEGs. Uh, they, it'll read directly <coughs> out of your Apple Photos library, which is which is where I keep all my images. So that's really helpful. I don't have to have a separate place to do that. Works on all the platforms I use, um, and uh, yeah, it has some it has some fun stuff as well. So yeah, it now has you know AI based masking. It will find the foreground, the background, the the sky, whatever you know, uh, and you can create your own masks yourself. Uh, quite a range of masks you can create. You're not just radial and linear masks, but you can create um, uh, luminosity masks and things like that just you know very easily so that's when i use when i'm looking for more subtle adjustments to things like color um, and what have you uh beyond that um if we're looking to add uh possibly things like gradients you know color gradients and this is going off piste a bit now for this conversation because it, yeah this is where we're starting to get into the less realistic imagery uh but i, I have used uh, the app polar for a while um uh, and uh whilst i have paid for it in the past um they've moved to a different model now a different payment model and some of the things that i used to have access to in that app have been taken away so i'm so i use that one less now uh but uh i use uh, affinity photo of course as well as as my real heavy lift but i don't you i don't tend to do uh bulk editing in that you know, I'm not going to sit down with Affinity Photo and one by one go through 150 photos and edit it because that yeah. that would be very very painful. Um, you know, so so probably Darkroom at the moment. Um, the other one I like on the iPad uh, is I can never remember what it was. It's one of the Pixelmator apps. It Pixelmator Photo maybe. I think Pixelmator Pro is something different. I get very confused with the Pixelmator apps about what one is called what, but it's one of the ones that works on the iPad. Um, do, do you also use a certain camera app to get um, iPhone, get like like certain looks, you know, instantly? Uh, yes, without but, having but to not, post-process. Yes, but not um, to for for the purposes of being particularly realistic. So uh, let's I mean, if, if I'm using my phone, I either use the basic standard camera app that comes with the phone. If I just want to take something that looks reasonably realistic or I use something like Hipstamatic, right, to, to really play. Um, if I'm using my little Olympus camera, um, I always have that shot. So with some JPEG engine processing on it, uh, depending on what I want to, and also capture the raw file underneath that. So it's always there. But, but then again, the question is always what's realistic and what's not realistic. I mean, I shot with a Holger uh, a few times. And I mean, those images, I tend to... Um, be on Graham's side when it comes to Holgers because oh my goodness are they rubbish but then when you look at the Holger images I get the exact same feeling that you got when you looked at the Stevie Nicks photo and I was like I always think this is so overprocessed, but it's actually a real Holger image mm-hmm. and oh my goodness I, I know why people think it's a good idea to shoot Holger but 
it's it doesn't rock my boat to be perfectly honest. well often people will push the film they put through holgers so so that will ha- that will make them crunchier and grainier because the holger you know has a, a small aperture um you know and if especially if you take it indoors or something like that you end up having to push your film two or three stops just to get anything out of it at all um so there yeah definitely there's a lot of stuff like that if you take your holger though to the beach in the middle of summer uh and you uh, shoot away from the sun so that you don't get crazy plastic lens light leaks all the way through your photos actually you can get some really rich not you know not grainy um yeah uh shots which uh i have some from a few years back um uh, when i was in croatia uh and uh they're just amazing they're just beautiful sunlit shots you know yeah, but uh, then the thing is, I use an app on Android, which is called Vignette. Uh, and it's, I like it a lot because it does have different, you know, toy camera camera programs and so on, and some sort of film emulation, if you want to call mm-hmm. it like that. Because, I mean, every time we talk about film emulation, I think we, are, uh, we both agree that it's not about accuracy. And that's the same thing with Vignette. It, it gives you a Holger-esque sort of look and i like it because you just you know most modern phones even phones that are a few years old they can actually um show you an image in real time yes yeah yeah. Um, and if you for example apply a red filter to a black and white image you can you can use an app like vignette for example as a preview device when shooting film because if you want to figure out what color filter to use to for example darken the sky I think it's quite useful to have a preview device to simply look at the effect yeah, of the filter. Much, yes. And, and uh, in that sense, it's it's nice that you can actually use an app on a phone that will simply, you know, shoot the image that you see on the screen and you get it. I mean, that's not the same feeling you get when shooting a film camera because you don't have a developed image, except maybe if you shoot instant film. But... I like the idea that you get a film look for very little money uh, on a, on a, on a phone and on a device that you have with you most of the time. So that's something that I like. Uh, I like a lot. Um, one of the apps that we, I'm sorry. No, I was going to. No, you go ahead. So one of the apps that we both uh, think uh, um, that we both discussed, I think, was Snapseed. Yes. And I mentioned that earlier because it's a very well-written piece of software for, which was originally written by Nick Software that wrote the Nick Collection, as I mentioned earlier. And what I like a lot about the Nick Collection, apart from being a really powerful post-processing software, is that among the normal adjustment that you can do, you can actually achieve a really nice film look with Snapseed. Yeah, you can. Snapseed's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because it gives you quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of capability, but it, it does all all types of changes. So you can have some things that are quite subtle, uh, or you can really go nuts with it. Um, and it's all yeah, and all of that's built in. It's just like you're just like, well, do I want to? Change? Yeah, you get a tool palette, and it's like, do I want to tool as a normal? Tool? In a lot of apps, they're like in different menu areas aren't they right it's like the crazy tools versus the 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 the, uh the more delicate tools uh in snapseed it's just like they're next to each other and you just go i hit that one oh that's gone nuts oh i hit that one no that's hard hardly tell the difference at all so it, it was um and of course in terms of editing on a phone they were one of the first it was one of the first apps that gave you selective editing so uh yeah long before lightroom was available on phones or or other or other uh big apps snapseed took the i think they call it the or they used to call it the u point uh technology that nick had yeah. developed um where you select a point which is the center of and, your effect and it and it fades away yeah. from that point and it's very close to magic how that it's works incredible. Yeah, they yeah. they incre- uh, when they when dxo bought the the Nick collection Nick basically they integrated the Upoint technology into their um, photo lab. It's one of the most powerful tools uh, tools uh, that I know. It makes it very easy to get really really great results very quickly. As I said before, I have no affiliation. I'm a paying customer, mm-hmm. 
but I really love that feature. But I have, a, I mean, we talked about Snapseed and I think one thing that we need to do uh, on some future episode is to go on a, like a, a challenge, a photo walk, you in, in the UK, I in Germany, and we should try to shoot some photos and process them just with Snapseed because that's the common denominator that we have. You have an, uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. Android. So um, we could expect to have the same, we, we basically have the same, almost the same tool. And I think for one episode, we should go out and try to shoot some images and try to make, give them the look with Snapseed that we consider is our film look or our film style that we like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we really need to do. And I have one uh, theory that is quite provocative, but um, let's see how you think about it. I have the theory that I, I, I have a, a Pixel 7 Pro, which has a very capable camera. You have uh, one of the latest iPhones. Uh, yeah, I have a 13 mini. Yeah. And my theory is that it will be impossible to properly emulate a film look with those phones because the the um, computational photography that the phones do creates images that you would never be able to get with film. For example, if you have um, backlight shots, mm-hmm. you can see details that I don't know any film that would give you the same details while preserving highlights and so on, because the computational stuff is is bonkers. Yes, you get. I have no idea how how they do it. And and I think, you know, using that image as a base to create a film look, I'm pretty sure that uh, if someone uses a very modern smartphone with uh, HDR capabilities and just transforms it in in some sort of film emulation software without priorly crushing blacks and whites and so on, I'm pretty sure we can do a blind test and I can tell you which images were shot with the phone. And uh, oh, that's an interesting uh, challenge in itself, isn't it? That's two challenges then. One is to go out and shoot and the other one is 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 to test you and, and whether or not you can recognize these things. That sounds interesting. Oh my goodness, what did I say? Uh, I think you just yeah, volunteered, but we should to, really do that. You volunteered to show off, right? And now we'll I catch you out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be happy to you know, uh, accept the challenge and, and also the defeat if I don't make yeah, it. Yeah, that's all good. But yeah, I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see how that develop develops because uh, phones used to have cameras that were not, you know, uh, over the top. Uh, but nowadays they are over the top in terms of quality. And, I, I had yeah. a big jump, uh, about a five, six year jump. So I, uh, I had an iPhone 6S and don't ask me what year that was from, but I jumped from that to a 12 um and the the iphone 6s I, I used to love the way that that shot photos um the iphone 12 i couldn't get on with it at all really um it was amazing it was amazingly powerful uh and it was great to have uh, a telephoto lens in a phone uh that was just built in um but the way that the apple image processing worked I couldn't get on with that. It was for me. It was too much. Um, uh, I'd say HDR, but it wasn't HD. It, it wasn't that it, it was. It, it took all of those things, and because it took many, many shots, it was effectively exposure stacking everything. So the exposure stacking that it did, and mm. the sharpening that it did in the Apple standard image pipeline, um, it, it was not something I could get on with. So it was great if you used other tools um you know to shoot with uh, other apps but i couldn't get on with the apple bit Mm. um the iphone 13 is is similar but i mean i don't um i because i carry around a dedicated digital point and shoot pretty much all the time anyway um i'm i'm less heavily reliant on the phone perhaps than some other people are these days so yeah i'm i'm definitely up definitely up for challenges uh that's always fun especially if the challenges are actually to go and take some photos because it's one thing to sit around on a winter's evening you know and chat with your friends about photography which is a lovely thing to do <laughs> you know yeah i do podcasting because i enjoy it not be yeah, yeah so so that's cool um uh but it is it is a different thing to go out and take photos and enjoy that process as well so yeah i'm definitely yeah. up for some challenges and assignments and things like that 
so we keep that in mind and uh yeah let's see when this episode will come up but we we really really need to do this i think yeah there is no way around it one thing that we didn't a topic that we didn't touch yet uh was we we um discussed just a few minutes ago how uh, the digital cameras of a phone can shoot images that you will very likely not be able to create with a film camera, even if you dodge and burn like crazy. It's almost on the verge of being unrealistic what you see mm -hmm. in an image of a modern camera. My question is, when you think about analog shots, especially not only considering the film characteristics, but every characteristic like lens characteristics and, and, and characteristics that you get by shooting certain cameras. Is there something that springs to your mind where you would say it would be very difficult to, to achieve that in post or digitally in some way? Is there something that you would say is impossible, even impossible to achieve in, in digital images? Uh, I think, a few years ago, yes, especially around highlights and highlight clipping. Uh, but but less of an issue today with yeah with highlight clipping in digital cameras um, than it than it was because the sensors are that much better and because the the processing in the cameras is that much better. So I think I think certainly if you have got uh, if you have overexposed an image and you've clipped the highlights, then you, you're going to struggle to get back. But that's that's just bad workmanship, isn't it? Um, uh, so with a digital camera, is there anything that I can do? That's really interesting. That's a really good question. I don't know. I feel that if I was skilled enough at using digital tools, I could probably at this point create a workflow to, with a digital camera that would allow me to emulate pretty much most things in film. Because there's so much information there, um, and, and if you can get to it, you know, and and the 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 the, the bottleneck, the the challenge, the constraint would be my skill, not the technology. I don't think the technology is the blocker. I think it's me that's the blocker. I, you know what I would say? I would say physics is the blocker. Okay, all right. Because, for example, take a. My friends Manuel and Jonathan, they are large format shooters, you know, uh, that that's their pedigree. That's what they love to do. And if you look at their shots and see the lens characteristics that certain large oh, format yeah, lenses have, I think there is no way to get, you know, in to, to achieve in post what you get by having a certain lens with certain distortions, with barrel distortions in... In the, in the background because I mean even if I look at modern phones that can simulate um, shallow depths of field it's not very convincing no I that's mean, true yeah good point yeah so so one of the things even with depth depth sensors and stuff like that I think it will take a long time until you, we will see maybe with AI it will be, get much better but I still have my doubts if um, what you get physically by using a certain lens and using a certain, um, you know, projection area. I mean, large format, obviously, you have a four by five or even bigger projection area. Um, I think there are certain things that would be very hard. to. Emulate. So that's you're, you're absolutely right. And I'd missed a trick there, hadn't I? Because I was considering only really the the final look in terms of color texture grain that kind of thing and i wasn't considering the the lens characteristics so yes absolutely with you on that one happy to be corrected um i always used to love just shooting uh just just general stuff with a, a medium format camera when i had the uh, bronica uh, which is a 645 camera of course uh the standard prime lens on that uh, the normal lens if you like was a 75 millimeter and that was fantastic to have a relatively easy to handle slr camera that ha that shot 75 millimeter sorry shot uh, with a 75 millimeter lens uh, as the as the standard lens 
um, uh, and to get the that that did give a very different look. Um, yeah, uh, mostly around, of course, as you say, depth of field, um, and then the perception of uh, compression, you know, from front to back. Um, and uh, I say perception of compression because I know if I try and describe what actually happens there, somebody will tell me I'm wrong because the internet likes to do that. And and because I'll be uh, wrong. It's, it's not my strong suit either. So we leave that to the pros yeah. and just admire how nice it looks. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, I and I think that's... Um, I have in the past thought about buying uh, the, one of these new Fuji medium format cameras for precisely that reason just to get that bigger sensor because of course you know and both of us shooting fuji cameras uh as, as everybody will know um they typically have APS-C sized sensors um rather than what we would call full frame uh, uh 35 mil um sensors um so to to you know that i do see a difference sometimes in print and again it's in the output on on a on a screen i don't tend to see it so much but if you if you have some printed output there's there's a photo i'm picturing in my head it's hanging on the wall elsewhere in the house and it's just one uh, of my wife and our daughter who was very young at the time and i look at it and go oh wow and i'm pretty confident it was shot with a 50 millimeter lens just on a 35 millimeter slr it's a black and white film probably yeah. hp5 um uh and it has an element of compression in it that you just don't get or I can't get even with my really lovely Fuji 35mm 1.4 lens. And I love that lens, right? I, do you have do you have that lens, by the way, the original 35mm? No, I don't, but uh, I wanted to mention that I have the 56mm uh, right. f dot, uh, what's it, f 1.2. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think it's probably the same feeling that you get when I think that the only time that my friends said, "Oh, that looks almost like a full frame, uh, like a like a uh, like a large format shot," was when I shot the fifty-six millimeter wide open at one point two, and it had it does get if you there is some sort of sweet spot where you get some sort of barrel distortion with that lens, and it's one of the nicest lenses I think you can buy by Fuji. And yeah, so the feeling is the same. There are very few occasions when you get this, this what some, you know, the, the modern people call pop yeah. in an image mm -hmm. where something stands out and you have don't have, it's more like a feeling. You can't really explain why it, it it's so pronounced. And that is probably um, what, yeah, we will have a hard time doing that on small sensors. And that's, probably the only thing that we have to emulate film because there is no large format sensors that are readily available indeed so. indeed so well which uh so what have we learned here so we, we probably should start to wrap up i'm looking at all the clocks counting on my yeah. screen at the moment and as, uh, we're I'm really enjoying this conversation but we're just over an hour at this point so so uh, possibly for the listeners sake we should start to wrap up the conversation <laughs> Yeah, I think what what we what we looked at was um, the different aspects of what tools you need to or what 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 settings you need to tweak to get a film look. That's what we talked about. We talked about how to do that with certain softwares, but we also talked about how a phone can be an appropriate tool to achieve stuff like that. And I think what we also learned was that you know fiddling in post is not always fun so <laughs> no indeed no absolutely what was what's your um what's your conclusion well i think i agree with everything you said i think uh, just one thing to add to that perhaps is that I, i'm starting from this conversation i've got a sort of sort of a feel right now of the, the there's an area of image making that analog photography can cover and there's an area that digital can cover and you know traditionally those two have been quite separate and as the digital technology has matured it has started to be able to cross over into that territory that that you know previously was analog only so we can now with the tools we have we can get you know um very uh, accurate reproduction of of what film can do to it to an extent but when you consider things like i mean sensor size the great one we've just been talking about is a great one 
Um, so uh, uh, and the all the alternative processes uh, that are available in, in analog, I you know clearly those are beyond digital to you know to emulate accurately right now. Uh, and so I think I, I come a picture that like of a Venn diagram where digital is is covering over time is starting to cover more and more of what analog is, but all of those really amazing edge cases for analog digital still can't get anywhere near them you still can you know nobody's gonna go down to their local camera shop and buy an 8 by 10 digital camera are they right (laughs) yeah i think uh i would like to leave listeners with uh one um uh at um what's it called if a tip uh is it a tip no what's the english word if i want to uh, give someone advice for buying a certain book Oh, well, yeah, no, a tip, a tip is good. Or a recommend, oh, a recommendation. Recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So it's so late. I really need to wrap up. My English going down <laughs> drain. So um, the, the current World Press Photo uh, 2022 book is uh, a very good example of having work that's where it doesn't matter if it's, I mean, it says if it's digital or if it's um, analog. But really, if you look at the images, that's not what matters. Mm -hmm. And I think that is my takeaway because uh, um, I think we love the tools that we use um, because they give us results that we love and that that help us express in a way. And if you look at that book, have a look at it. Decide for yourself if you care about whether it was shot digitally or, you know, on film. And yeah. We need to have that content. Write, write in, write to uh, sunny16presents at gmail.com and let us know what you think uh, when you look at sample images from WordPress Photo. I think they're online as, as well. And give us your comments and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And so far we had, I mean, the, the first episode came out today, didn't it? It yeah, did, it yes, did. yes. No flame war, war so far. And yeah, and so we must we try harder. Ourselves lucky. <laughs> We must try. We must try harder. I think in the second episode, it will that that the people, yeah, <laughs> will have seen my true face. No, okay. So, um, Aid, where can people find you on Twitter? You said, uh, yeah, on Twitter, uh, Aid nine six eight. That's assuming Twitter still exists when this podcast goes out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, everything goes absolutely. Uh, so you can find me on uh, Instagram at c underscore str1 and it was a huge pleasure talking to you aid and uh, thank you very much uh, to our listeners and see you or yes see you that's wrong but you listen to us next episode see you next episode take care everybody bye-bye take care bye-bye